dynamics to know about it. I'm not sure I have the patience for it, at least at this stage in my life. And so when I go out on the golf course, which is not very often, um, I dial my expectations down to zero. And, and it's, it's so good. Uh, my goals are like, number one, let me spend some time with people that I like. Uh, number two, let me enjoy God's beautiful creation because golf courses are beautiful. And number three, try to lose less than 20 golf balls. And if I accomplish those three things, it is a good day. Um, anybody else here, like the best part of being out on the golf course is driving the carts around? That's, that's where my game is at. So um, there are learning curves. There's a lot of learning curves in life. Um, learning curves, they, basically that represents those gaps between where someone is currently at and where they ultimately need to get to uh, when it comes to just acquiring some of the basic skills in any given field. And, and there's learning curves. Some of them are, are small, and others can be quite steep. And there's learning curves when it comes to living life with Jesus. Uh, the way we see situations, the way we work through challenges, and just about everything all looks different once Jesus is a reality once he's in the picture. But, but here's the thing, learning how to recalibrate our lives around him, that can be a real challenge, um, this, this process of learning how to live by faith. And so there's two truths that we're going to look at this morning that I want to unpack together with you. Number one is just that, that living this life of faith with Jesus in it is a challenge, it's, it's not easy. The learning curve is steep, and there are times and moments where we absolutely blow it, and we miss it, and we fall flat on our faces. Uh, but there's a second reality, and it's this, is that Jesus walks with us as we walk through this learning curve. He is there with us each and every step of the journey. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it to Mark chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, then it's going to be right here behind me on the screen, and you can just follow along. Uh, we are looking this morning at two scenes where Jesus' closest companions totally missed it. They totally miss it. And, and these are just not the only two scenes that show such a thing. There are plenty of more scenes very much like this one that we are going to see as we continue to make our way through this Gospel of Mark. Um, maybe you've heard the phrase before that there are those times when God works through us and there's other times where God works despite us, right? Um, the accounts that we're looking at this morning, they fall into that second category where God works despite us. Um, but there's some very good news to be found here for, for people like me, at least, and maybe for people like you as well, it's that to those of us who understand that living by faith is a challenge. It's a struggle that it doesn't come easy. The learning curve is real and it's steep, but Jesus walks with us, with us every step of the journey. Uh, so in, in Mark chapter 6, I'm going to start reading and start with verse 30. Uh, where it says this, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, 
Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran themselves on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. All right, so at this stage of the, of the journey, the disciples have just returned uh, from this assignment that Jesus set them out on. And as they're debriefing how everything went, Jesus invites them to get away on a retreat. He, he says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. You might call it agenda getaway. That is what is next on the calendar because they had been running at breakneck speed for too long. And a little bit of downtime was in order. It's what their souls needed. Jesus knew it, and so that is their agenda. It says, actually, that they didn't even have time to eat. You know, that's how busy they were. I don't know. Does that sound anything like your life and your schedule at all? You are so busy, so cram-packed with activities that you don't even have time to sit down and have a proper meal. If so, then then maybe you need to hear these words of Jesus as as a personal invitation to you as well. Hear this. Come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. That's that's a pattern that that Jesus models for us, and it's one that that we really do well to pay attention to. Um, Live in rhythm. And there's times in that rhythm where we engage deeply in in, in what it is that we're called to do. We're busy, we're active, but we have to balance that that doing with with being and and build in times to unplug, to step back, and to be restored. Times when when, when the phone is not dinging, right? When, When the demands are not pressing because... When we keep on pouring out and pouring out and pouring out without taking time out to get filled back up, we end up living on fumes. Our tanks run on empty and we turn into burnt out people. And you know, this, this may be the best Christmas gift that you can give to that person in your life that you care for this year. Forget the stuff that no one needs. How about just, just arrange a day or two for some downtime. That could be a real gift. That could be a real blessing. It's important, uh, but the crowds that day, they must have missed the memo. They show no intention at all of cooperating with Jesus' agenda getaway. So it's kind of crazy. They, they watch him sail off in the boat, and then somehow they figure out where he's heading to, and And they actually, they must be really good runners because they run ahead. They arrive at the destination before the boat even docks. And so if you can just picture the scene, the same people that Jesus is waving goodbye to as they left, they're, they're waiting there to welcome him the moment he arrives. Now, I don't know about you, but this sounds like a scene straight out of What About Bob, right? This crowd clearly has boundary issues. And, and, and it's in full effect here. But, but here's what's so amazing. What's amazing to me is the way that Jesus responds with compassion. 
See, he doesn't see the crowds and, and see them as distractions. He sees desperate people who need something. He sees sheep without a shepherd. He sees a crowd of people who don't have direction, who are aimless, who are wandering. And what he sees breaks his heart wide open and compassion is what it says comes pouring out. And so the plan now has shifted. Jesus steps in and he gives the crowd the guidance that they need as he begins to teach them. Um, The Greek word for compassion that it says fueled this action that Jesus did Uh, That Greek word is the word that describes the deepest organs in the human body, Uh, like the heart, the kidney, the lungs, the liver, all of these deep places. And the idea is that there's something deep on the inside that gets moved, that, that gets moved in such a powerful way that you can't help but respond. We've all experienced that depth of emotion. That's compassion. That's caring so deeply about a situation that you cannot help but step in and do something about it. And and that kind of heartfelt compassion was a core value of Jesus' life and ministry from day one to the last day. And it's a value that he intends to cultivate in the lives of his followers as well. The idea is that a world full of hurt finds healing when hearts filled with compassion start pouring out. And that's what we see here. But this is kind of where the learning curve comes in. Uh, Because here's the thing, in order for Jesus to extend this compassion, agenda getaway that was originally planned is going to have to be put on a temporary pause, right? And in our lives, more times than not, something is going to need to get put on hold in order for us to extend compassionate action to someone else. That's just the way it works because here's the thing is the times when compassion is most needed, it's just seldom the times when it's most convenient. Maybe, maybe you've noticed that. You know, it, it would be so great if we could just slot compassion into our calendars. 6 to 8 p.m. next Tuesday, that will be my time to express compassion to whoever needs it. But it doesn't happen that way. Extending Christ-like compassion, it will challenge us to lay down our agendas at the altar. They will challenge us to sacrifice our plans for the sake of someone else. And that challenges, that, the, the challenges, and it asks us the question, are we okay with that? Are we willing to take that step? You see, agenda getaway, eventually that was going to happen, but it was going to have to wait. It was put on pause because Jesus, we see his, he is all in. The passage says that he taught the crowd many things, and this turned into an all-day endeavor. Um, And as the day starts winding down, the disciples are getting a little restless and they decide it's time to step in and intervene and maybe tell Jesus, give him a little bit of advice. Did you ever try to give Jesus a little bit of advice? How did it go for you? Um, Let's see how it went for them. It says this, um, 
<clears throat> Excuse me. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So um, the disciples, they are basically assessing this situation from a point of view that is purely pragmatic, right? Probably it's the way that many of us would look at the same situation and assess it the same way. You know, they just lay out all the facts and put it on the table. Okay, here's where things are at. Number one, we are in the middle of nowhere, Jesus. This is a desolate place. So, so think of it sort of like the Jefferson Valley Mall, but even worse than that, right? There is nothing around. There is nobody around for miles. I don't know if that's still true, but it used to be that way. Uh, number two, they say, uh, look at the time. They say, it is getting late. It's only a matter of minutes before this crowd starts getting hungry. And everybody knows that a hungry crowd quickly turns into a hangry crowd, right? It doesn't take much for that to happen, and that is not something any of us want to have to deal with. So they say, in light of all of these realities, let's wrap this thing up, call it a day, let them go, and maybe they can make it to a McDonald's drive through before they close down. Uh, all in all, it's a pretty fair assessment, right? They left out one detail, one thing that they didn't factor in. They didn't factor Jesus in. They overlooked Jesus and they left him out of their assessment. This, this rabbi that they had been following for so long, this one that they had front row seats to and, and seen him do all kinds of things that no one else had ever done before. He, he is there, he's, he's present, he's on the scene, and he is doing something. And there's that learning curve again, right? They have yet to learn that the most important factor in each and every situation is Jesus. He's present, not absent. He's active, not passive, and he has an agenda that he wants to accomplish, and, and, and that reality, it needs to get in factored into the way that we see things. Where is Jesus? What is he doing? Because all too often, those factors just get left out. And I don't know if you can relate, you know, but if it happened to the disciples, I get the feeling it can happen to us as well, right? It, it's, it's all too easy as we survey the situations in our own lives to overlook the reality of the Savior, to reduce our situations to just what's in front of us. But the good news is that Jesus doesn't let us settle for that. Let's, let's see how he responds to the disciples' advice. It says this, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarius' worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Um, does that where I stop there? Yes. Okay. Um, so, so here's the point. Jesus is on the scene, and that changes everything 
Jesus is the ultimate difference maker. And, and he is committed to teaching us to look at situations through the eyes of faith, to see just not us, ourselves, and the very little that we bring to the table, but to see him and the unlimited amount that he brings to the table. Uh, he did that then, and, and he still does it uh, today. And so he seizes the teachable moment at this time, and he presents the disciples with what I would call option impossible. Option impossible. He, he says, you feed them. So, so just like that, Jesus takes this burden of feeding 5,000 people, and he drops it on the laps of his closest companions. He invites them to take part in doing something that is utterly undoable in their own strength and power. And the question is, why? Jesus, why in the world would you put that kind of burden on them? Here's the thing, that underneath impossible, there's a personal invitation. It's an invitation from Jesus to you, to me, and it says something like this. You know what you can do but I want to show you what I can do through you. See, impossible is his invitation for us to get in on what he is doing and be an active part in his redeeming work and what he's doing in this world. Because here's the thing, Jesus kind of specializes in accomplishing the impossible. What he does we call uh, miracles and you know, we've seen a few of them in this book up to this point. But up to this point, it's always been a one-man show. Jesus has been doing it all. His disciples have been watching from the sidelines. But here, when he says, you give them something to eat, it's an invitation that's being extended. Get in on this. Let's do this together. Now, of course, the disciples, they, they still don't get it, Right? They still are assuming that this is all about them. Uh, By the way, side note, one of the most critical pieces of information that will lead our lives towards greater spiritual growth is understanding that it is a whole lot less about you and it's a whole lot more about him. All right, once we get that understood, uh, a lot of things start clicking into place. But they don't get that yet. They're saying, hey, Jesus... Are you asking us to spend $50,000 to feed 5,000 people so they can eat dinner for one night? Is that what you want, Jesus? Because that's what it's going to take. The disciples, just to let you know, they are going to remain on the steep end of the learning curve for a period of time that's almost embarrassing. And it's worth noting that The disciples are the ones who wrote this book. Mark is writing down Peter's eyewitness testimony. And so he's talking about himself. He's saying, I didn't get it. I didn't get it for so long. And so here's the thing about that. If the thought of trusting Jesus, if that's just really hard for you, if it's just something that doesn't make a lot of sense to you, take heart because you are in good company. See, this This is a complete paradigm shift. The disciples, they just don't have a category 
that they can put what Jesus is asking them to do into. Um, so let's see how Jesus responds uh, to, to them. He answered them. Um, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Uh, go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they looked, they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So here's, here's the question Jesus asked. He asked the disciples, what do you have? Notice that he didn't ask the question, how much is needed? Right? Those are very two different questions. But the question before them is, what do you have? And they they go off, they do a quick inventory, and they report back. Our current food supply is five loaves, two fish. It's not even enough to feed the disciples. But nevertheless, they, they take this very little they have, and they offer it to Jesus. And, and Jesus receives it, and he does with it what only he can do. Three things it says. He says, number one, he blessed it. Number two, he broke it. And then number two, he, he returned it to them and the disciples then distributed it to the crowds. And so that little, when they placed it in Jesus' hands, turned into more than enough. And, and there's a principle there. You know, this is, this is the way the disciples got in on this miracle moment. And, and, and the question for us is, what might happen when you and I, when we take the little that's in our hands and we place it in his hands? There's, there's no telling. I, I will testify to you that this is very much like the story of how this space that we are in here this morning came to be. Uh, ordinary people taking our all, whether it be little or much, placing it in his hands and somehow finding out that it's enough. It's enough. And that's part of the journey of faith, watching him multiply it in ways that can only be described as miraculous. When we started back up at, in this space, we were just looking and, 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 and we realized that our children's ministry needed a huge upsurge in volunteers because it over COVID, it just, it went from a thriving uh, volunteer-based ministry to just bare bones, hardly anyone there. And we had no idea how we were going to get that. We still have no idea how we're going to get that because it's a work in progress. Uh, But, you know, we sat down to our staff meeting on a Tuesday morning and just hear this report of somehow we've got all the people who need to be in place on the calendar from from September through December. Praise God. I don't know how it happened. I can't tell you, but I'm thankful to God for people who take the little that they have, place it before Jesus, and let him do something immeasurably beyond anything that we can ask or imagine. This is, this is the way God's kingdom work gets done. It, it doesn't matter how much you have. What matters is that whatever we have, that we offer it to him. 
And so I would boldly challenge you this morning, don't hold back. Don't hold back on giving your all and offering to Jesus everything. Because I don't want you to miss out on what he has in store for you. I don't want you to miss out on being able to tell those testimonies of how God used the little and made it into more than enough. And in this case, this was, this was about the learning curve. This miracle was done maybe not so much for the sake of the 5,000 because the disciples were right. They could have left and gone out and gotten food. But Jesus wanted the disciples to learn something about this. He wanted them to catch a vision for what he can do through them. And so you see how they take an active part. They're the ones who offer the food. They distribute it to the crowds. And after the whole thing is said and done, did you notice what was left? Twelve baskets of leftovers. That is one for each disciple. Maybe to just leave some kind of lasting impression on their lives and give them a sense of of what it looks like to trust him. So after an episode like that, what do you expect? We might expect that the disciples, they get it now, right? Thank you, Jesus, for showing us so clearly how much you can do through us. This has been a life defining moment. You fed 5,000 people with so little. Our lives are never going to be the same again from this point forward. Our faith has been strengthened, and now we've learned to never factor you out again, right? Maybe, but maybe not. Let's, Let's read and find out. It says this, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This follow-up scene kind of makes it clear that the disciples are still on the very steep end of this learning curve. They've still got a lot to learn, just like you and just like me, right? There was something Jesus intended them to take home from from that episode of feeding the 5,000, but it says they missed it. They didn't get it, that their hearts that should have been softened to a reality were hardened to it. And that intended take home... It had everything to do with understanding who Jesus is. That's what he's trying to put front and center to them. Somehow, they're still working with this diminished perception of who this guy is that they're following. They're seeing him for someone less 
than who he is. And so here it is in the middle of this storm that they're struggling through. And, and Jesus comes walking on the water again, doing something that only Jesus can do. And the idea is that there is this struggle going on that the disciples are in the midst of their wrestling with it. And Jesus is not subject to that struggle. He's sovereign over that struggle. And, you know, a lot of commentators make comparisons to this pass-by incident that Jesus intended to pass by the disciples, and they see that same word was used when, when, when Moses was, was asking Yahweh, show me yourself. And it says, Yahweh, pass by. And they caught a small glimpse of him in his glory. And, and this, like that, is a small glimpse of Jesus in his glory. He's revealing himself to them by, by walking on the water. And the point is that for every scene, for every scenario, for every situation we encounter, there is a sovereign Savior. His name is Jesus. He is right in the middle of it. And he is calling us, he's calling you, he's calling me to see him for who he is. Here here are these words, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. The more we see Jesus for who he is, the more faith builds and the more fear just leaves. It has no place in our lives anymore. But this, this learning curve, I'll close with this, that this, this learning curve of comprehending Christ, it's a lifelong journey. Hate to break it to you. We're always on the steep end, this side of heaven, because there is always more to Jesus than you and I as finite people can currently comprehend. The learning curve doesn't stop because the depths of who Jesus is can never be exhausted. But here's the thing, every situation you face, the crisis that you feel you are in the middle of right now, that situation that's too big for you to handle, whatever it is, that's an opportunity for you to encounter him, to see him for who he is. And we can't, we can't end that learning curve, maybe, but we can lessen it, and we can see him for who he is. We can hear his call. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And let the situations that we're struggling through just shift. Let, let them be put into perspective because there's nothing more urgent than seeing him for who he is. Nothing changes our situations more than the reality of who Jesus is. Let's pray together.